Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to tournament poker strategy. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Fez Buddy and Killing Bird. Hey everybody, welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I am Killing Bird, and as usual, here with me is Ron Fez Buddy. What's up, man? I am good. How are you doing, Derek? I'm doing pretty good. Just, uh, you know, excited to be doing another podcast and uh, sort of recovering from our little trip to Atlantic City. Uh, good to see you. Good to see the TPE members. A couple of us went deep in a couple of tournaments. And shout out to T-Twist for taking third in event number two. Yeah, it was so much fun. Man, I had a blast uh, railing him. One of our members, Pierre, was there as well, and we hung out on the uh, hung out on the rail and had a few Heinekens and uh, and watched Tito. So he played really, really well. I yeah, was, I was I, re- I was driving down when um and getting the text messages from you, and man, I really wish I had made it there in time for him to, to really watch his, his deep run. But uh, by the time I got there, you guys were all passed out anyway. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was it was a long night. I, I'm not even sure if we were celebrating or just drowning. <laughs> Tim's sorrows for yeah. for not winning, um, but yeah. it was it was fun either way. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, congrats, Tim. That was uh, awesome. Awesome to hear and and follow and stuff. And I know he's uh, I know he's pretty pretty psyched about what he did. But I know he wanted more. But who doesn't, right? Yeah. It's it's the uh, it's the dilemma that we all have with tournament poker. You know, it's like yeah. you go that deep. You know, most people would be like, "Wow, you just won seventeen grand. You finished third in a circuit event. Congratulations!" And you yeah, know, he, he's just sitting there kind of feeling bummed. Yeah, it was it was cool though because I I got there that night like I said and and then I was there um, for event number three and you know the minute I first of all a lot of people asked me if I was the guy who finished third because I was wearing a TPE shirt uh, <laughs> people I guess were noticed that and uh and I couldn't really hide behind, you know like I mean you know when I play I wear my TPE stuff being a, a part owner of the site you know I'm definitely flying the flag as much as I possibly can but um. You know, I, I can't hide. I ha- I'm wearing TPE stuff, and now everyone at that, you know, everyone in the circuit event knew about TPE because Tim. And yeah. I felt like people were actually playing me a lot different than they normally play me. They they, they were giving me a lot more um, credit for being crafty, which um, I don't necessarily want, right? I want. Yeah. To, not that I really am that crafty, but <laughs> right. now, I, now I have to play as if I was crafty. <laughs> it, it is kind of an interesting dilemma because you you have to decide, you know, kind of what's more important to you, you know. Yeah representing or, or marketing a business or getting, you know, maybe getting played differently because because you have no no patches on or anything. Right, right. Well, you know what? We'll just adjust in the long term and figure out how to how to play it right. So, yeah. So how was your uh, how was your how was your trip for you? How did it go for you? Um, it was fun. I had a really good time. I, I managed to blank all five events that I played, uh-huh. uh, but I don't feel like I played particularly poorly. You know, I think I played pretty well. I just never really got a ton going and, um, lost a couple of, a couple of crucial pots where, you know, got it in, in really good shape and, and yeah. lost. And, and that's just kind of the way it goes. Yeah. You know? I, mean, I mean, five, you know, five tournaments is nothing. That's like the first five I registered for online at 8 p.m. You know, I was like, I, I, you know, I instantly register for five tournaments and I could be out of those in the first hour. You know, it's just, right. You know, it's, it's such a small sample, high variance that you really can't make any inferences from that. And it's going to happen yeah. a lot, unfortunately, with live. That's the only that's a big drawback with live. Right. Yeah. And you just have to it's you just have to kind of remind yourself of of how used 
to that, you are happening. I mean, yep. you ha- like you said, it happens to us every day online. It's just a little harder when you fly to Philly, drive to Atlantic City, get a <laughs> hotel, you know, spend all this time and money to, to play in some events and then and and don't manage to to bank anything. But, yeah. You know, I think I made, um, you know, I played the three ring events and then two non-ring events, and I made I actually made the dinner break in all three ring events, which, oh, really? you know. It, doesn't doesn't mean anything financially, but at least tells me that I, you know, I think I played fairly well and, and went fairly deep and didn't spew off all my chips early. So, cool. um, yeah, so it was it was a good trip, but you know, it was just great to see you and, and, and to see Twist and um, and and you know, we probably met I don't know maybe a dozen tournament poker edge members, so yeah. it was a lot of fun. fun. Yeah, I was I, actually deep in the event number three with uh, Larue. Um, I think he finished ahead of me. I finished. What, uh, you were there. What did I finish? Thirty fifth or forty fifth, something like that. I think thirty yeah. fifth. I think I finished thirty fifth. I'm not. I, I can't quite remember. Um, I know they they broke for thirty two. Maybe it was like forty fifth because I know they broke for the night with thirty two. Oh, okay. um, yeah, it was like five twenty to start. So I made I made the money on event three. Um, I had a fun fun time playing, and I, I think I played pretty well. Um, I ended up uh, with fifteen big blinds at twenty five hundred five thousand. Uh, and I had 75k, and I w- had queen 10 on the button, and guy in hijack plus one, um, who was a definite two plus two guy because he was talking about two plus two. Um, he was a supernova elite, um, and he just looked like a guy who played a lot of poker. Um, mm. And you know he was fairly young and you know fairly hip. You know, for lack of a better term. So, I, and he was opening a lot. So I gave this guy. You know, I definitely stereotype profiled the guy, but it was over two hour period. Um, he was opening a decent amount, and he opened, and I shoved on him, and he had ace queen, and my queen ten didn't get there, and that's how I ended up busting. Um, so really, no regrets on that. It was queen ten suited as well. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I went back and did the math, and you know, he's going to be for what I think he's opening there. I, I you know, I, I, he only had like twenty six big blinds, so. 15 big blinds of a 26 big blind stack in a live tournament, I think mm-hmm. is huge fold equity. Um, yeah. And I do think he's opening pretty wide there. So when I went back and, you know, assigned them opening range and, and what he's continuing with to my raise, I was okay with it. But even, and it was, it was, it's obviously high variance, but, you know, I, I was okay with, with it at the end of the day. And, and, and so I ended up busting that way. But um, a lot of fun playing. There was some really interesting stuff. There's a hand I, I want to talk about. Later on, when we bring the pros on, um, to with, I had a real wild card at my table, um, but it, I just didn't know how to play this guy. But but I want to talk to the pros about it later. So uh, maybe it's a good time to introduce today's topic. Um, what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, it's actually uh, it's good timing because we're uh, we're going to discuss live poker and some of the intricacies of live poker, some of the differences between online and live, and transitioning between the two. And we'll have uh, Jonathan Ween and uh, Cougars forty four forty four Sean Hendrickson on uh, to discuss that. And also we'll go over some hands. I know, you, like you said, you want to mention a hand, and, and I had a pretty interesting. Uh, spot as well that that we'll discuss, and I know they got a, some hands t- to talk about. So uh, it should be a really interesting conversation, especially I know um, you know Ween and Cougars both play a fair share of live events. So um, I think it'll be cool to to get their insight uh, on some things, and also just kind of hear about how their uh, how their tournaments went. Cool. So, uh, I, can't, I can't wait to uh, to have that conversation with those guys. Uh, it's always fun to bring the pros on and, and get their perspective on on these things. Free, yep. co- free coaching for us and everyone else who's listening. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> looking forward to it. So, uh, so yeah, we'll take a quick little break and we'll uh, we'll come right back with Ween and Cougars forty four forty four here on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. 
Are you looking for a poker training site that focuses exclusively on poker tournaments? Tired of wading through cash game videos looking for the occasional tournament video? Well, look no further than TournamentPokerEdge.com. In addition to training videos, Tournament Poker Edge has blogs, forums, a member chat room, poker-related articles, and much more. Pros include Casey, Big Dog Pocket Fives, Jarzebek, Ryan Hit the Panda Franklin, and Jonathan Ween. Tournament Poker Edge has the lowest monthly price, and unlike most poker training sites, there is no initial sign-up fee. So sign up today and find out why Tournament Poker Edge has quickly become the number one choice of tournament players looking to improve their poker skills. TournamentPokerEdge.com Hey everybody, welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. At this time, we uh, are very happy to welcome Sean Hendrickson and Jonathan Ween to the show. What's up, guys? Not much. I love coming first, by the way. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the only way I could get you on the show, is to <laughs> sure that I would say your name first. Tough sell. <laughs> Ween, how you doing, man? I mean, obviously not happy about the fact that my name was second. <laughs> <laughs> Why, well, that's your fault for picking a name with a W. Your last I'm name. actually, you guys are going to laugh if I marry the girl that I'm dating right now. I'm going to take her last name because she starts with a C. <laughs> You'll finally be first on everything. It's about damn time. You're dating Casey? <laughs> I mean, a man can dream, can he? <laughs> You're right. I've, I've thought of it myself. You guys would have beautiful babies. Can you imagine how much, like, just disease would be in that child? Uh, we've gone off the deep end. So that we'll kid would be the... born with diabetes. <laughs> that would so, be the least of his problems. <laughs> that kid would be mean to me. Like, the first word would be, like, F you, Rod Fez, buddy. <laughs> You're terrible at poker. You're awful. Right. Awful would be his first word. Yeah. <laughs> atrocious. It's just atrocious. <laughs> no, we're nice people. So uh, so as we were saying uh, before the break, we thought that this was a good opportunity to have a little bit of a discussion about live poker because all four of us just got back from playing one or more circuit events up at Harrah's in Atlantic City. So we just figured this was a really good time to have that conversation. And obviously there are some some pretty big differences between playing live and playing online uh, and some people adjust to those better than others but I think uh, you know I think you guys in particular can can shed some interesting light on what some of those differences are and what somebody who maybe has only played played online and goes to their first live tournament what they should expect and how they should adjust and things like that so so John what do you think some of the the, the things that might shock people when they first sit down at their first live tournament um, you know, what are some of those things that people should look out for? I mean, you're going to see people 4Xing again. You're going to see people, like, really polarize their range preflop. Like, they'll 4X with two eights because they don't want action, but they'll min-raise two aces because they want action. <laughs> it's like, you can kind of pick up pretty easily, like, based on patterns of betting, what people are doing. Uh, yeah. Also, Also, it's like... I think online people need to realize that when an old man three bets you after you raise an early position, it's not the same as like big dog three betting you right. in a tournament. Like in live poker, if someone's three betting you, they generally have it. You need to really tighten up your ranges based on that. And it doesn't yeah. matter if you have the image, right? Like those guys are not adjusting 
for the most part, those older guys or, or those old nits are not adjusting just because you've been, you know, raising. They're going to all of a sudden take a stand. Would you say that's true or, or not true, or do they do they take stands? I, I can. I mean, it depends. Usually, most old people, they like. They. I know this is like a general statement, but most people that are getting frustrated with the fact that you're raising a lot will just call. Like, okay. they don't realize that you can 3-bet. It's just not something that's in their game, generally speaking. Especially not light. Yeah. Like, they're, they're just not going to do it with, like, Jack-9 suited or something. Yeah, exactly. They're just going to call and try to outplay you and then, like, flop top hair and try to hold on, I think. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I think it's actually – it's probably a good idea to stereotype, right? I mean, you don't have much information in the beginning, at least, to go on other than what the person looks like and what they're saying. So I, I think you probably have to stereotype. Would you would you agree with that, or 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 is it can you get yourself in trouble that way? I mean, I definitely stereotype when I play and when I sit down. I know what my image is as soon as I sit down. That they're not going to believe me because I'm a young kid. Right. Like it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how generally tight I am. People are still going to come after me just because of the image I portray because they're stereotyping me. So. Generally speaking, stereotypes are there for a reason. They pl- most people play a certain way based on how they look and how they act. Yeah, I tend to stereotype until proven otherwise, really. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good point because there were definitely a couple of older, and by older I mean late 30s, early 40s, you know, guys who I played with who when, you, when I first sat down I was like, okay, here's like an, old, an older amateur player who's, you know, maybe here with his wife and decided to play in a tournament today. But you can pretty quickly determine if that, stereotype is correct or not you know like there was one guy who was like wow that dude just opened 2.5x i just like you instantly go okay he's not an amateur obviously yeah uh and when someone's 4xing you can immediately be like well this guy doesn't know what he's doing just because it's just (laughs) not something that we do anymore yeah here's one stereotype i picked up that i think is pretty pretty much consistent if someone has their girlfriend or wife watching them and cheering them on they're probably not a very experienced live player. <laughs> it's probably a big trip for them, a big deal, and like they've made a big deal out of playing in this tournament. And they're not—they're going to be nitty. They're not going to go broke very cheaply. That's what they also, if they, if they have a friend or somebody stop by just for a minute to talk, they're more prone to try and make some ridiculous play or something to try and impress their friend. Interesting. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah, I think you can tell a lot by their friends, by the people they're with. Like, if you see some someone who's clearly like a two plus two or something, come talk to someone, then they're probably going to be of the same mindset. Yeah, I also like I like getting the table riled up about their biggest scores and whatnot, like getting them all excited because you can tell what type of player they are based on like what their biggest score is and what they're most proud of. Like these people bragging about the fact that they won a three hundred dollar circuit event, um, they suck. <laughs> Only if they're wearing the ring. Oh, that guy! That guy! You know, he had, there was some guy at both of our tables at one point. Uh, Sean and I, we were both in the fifteen hundred, the main event thing. He was at my table to begin with, and then moved to Sean's table. And he was just bragging about the fact he's like, "Yeah, five circuit final tables. I finally got my ring." After three years of playing the circuit, I'm like, God, you must really suck. Like, it was, it was, it was a 40 us. player Omaha high low event, and he was bragging about getting the Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's you kind of bring up a good point though, John, about like talking to the table and, get, and getting them communicating. And I, I seem to remember reading that somewhere else before. Like, 
asking people what they do for a living because that might give you some indication of how they might play. Like, you know, if, if they're a lawyer or if they're, you know, a teacher or something, it could change yeah, also, how, they, how they might play. Also, like, what they're wearing is kind of important, and I actually, like... I'll change the something that I'm wearing in order to like portray something else. I'll sometimes wear khakis and a dress shirt and shoes to a tournament because it, I look like your typical 30 year old Jewish accountant who like <laughs> just plays rec- recreationally. If I put on that facade, whereas like yeah. if I'm wearing like a hoodie or jeans, like I'm looked like the internet kid. Right. So right. like yeah, definitely what they do and what they're wearing really plays into. You know how you play against them. Do you guys look for tells like during the course of of play? Like, are tells overrated, underrated, or accurately rated? Because I, I personally have trouble getting physical tells off of people. I think I'm in the same boat as you. I, I tend to have trouble getting physical tells, so I pay a lot more attention to betting size tells and betting patterns. I think just like online, and maybe from you know coming from an online background, I'm more prone to really notice those as compared to live tells. I mean, you might. You know, pick up something, a little something here or there, but I don't, you know, really put a lot of, lot of interest into it. Yeah, I kind of do the same thing because I, I, I'm like, I look, like first of all, I can't watch nine people at one time, and like I, I, I try to like focus maybe on the people to my left because, you know, they're going to be the or, 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 or to my right because they're going to be the ones I'm most actively involved in pots in. Um, yeah. But I really just have a hard time, like, just, okay, well, he blinked. What does that mean? Like, Or, like, I have a hard time. If someone's bet- betting and their hands are shaking, like, I don't know if that means they're super strong or super weak. I, 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 I have a hard time figuring out what that's supposed to mean. Right. <laughs> I think one of the one of the best live tells, and I use it all the time, and I think you actually turned me on to this, Diego, was looking to the people to your left to see if they're going to fold. Like, they, they've already decided they're going to fold, and they have their cards in the fold position. Yeah. That's, Although that's being used as a reverse tell as well. If, if, if it's like someone who knows what they're doing, doing that, then they're not folding. Right. Well, and, and that's why I think it's something that you watch for. And it's like if if he does it three times and he folds every time, right. then you know you can somewhat reliably know that, that that's the plan. And, and let's face it, if, if the guy's got his cards like, oh, I'm, I'm mucking these and he's making it really obvious, and then you raise and he re-raises, then he clearly angled you and you you, know, you just fold and right. <laughs> he obviously has the nuts, you know. <laughs> Uh, here's a tell I've heard of, and let me know if you guys think this is true or not. If someone is, like, betting and looking at your chip stack, that means that they're strong and they want your chips. Is that – would you guys – have you guys ever run into that, or is that overrated? I've never noticed that or even looked into it. It could be true. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually never noticed that. I've just read about it. <laughs> but one of those things <laughs> I just don't notice. I just don't notice all these things that people talk about. So I, I'm like you, Sean. I, I just try to, try to you know, go by bet sizing and, and yeah. things that I'm, I'm used to. Um, from playing a lot of poker online. Yeah. I mean, another, you know, there's a couple of little things that, I mean, they may not be little that I noticed. Like, I made day two of that Borgata 560 while I was there, and I got there, like, half an hour early and got, a, you know, a, two, a day two sheet with the table listings, and I hadn't mobbed everybody at my table. So yeah. I knew if they had, had had success or if they hadn't had success before. Yeah. So I had a better idea on who I could attack and who I couldn't since we were on the bubble. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, if you can get that do you guys wear sunglasses when you play? Absolutely not. Um, I generally don't. I used to all the time. Um, it's more about the fact that like the lights shine in my face and I, I get migraines a lot. Oh, gotcha. So it's more to do with like the actual like physical setting that would make me wear sunglasses every once in a while more than anything else. I don't think it gives away anything one way or the other. Right. 
Um, I can't see. I'm blind, so I have to wear some type of glasses. So, might as well be sunglasses. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've told people this before. Like, I, I sometimes do wear sunglasses, but I never wear them to hide my eyes, like to hide tells. I, I do it so I can stare at people without kind of feeling weird. <laughs> that is useful. I will I will give you that. That I, I I used to wear them and I don't wear them anymore just because I've become more comfortable playing live. So like I ju- you know most of the time I just kind of check out whenever I'm you know either bluffing or I have the nuts and I just kind of try to start going somewhere else in my mind and 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 leave like the table visually. Um, yeah. But but you're right. Like I I have a hard time just like staring people down because it feels kind of it feels awkward to me to be like just staring at someone and. For a long period of time, I'm, I blink first. I have to admit, <laughs> yeah, I look away first. <laughs> I mean, there are timing stuff that I use as tells. Like, if I if I make a bet and someone like quickly re-raises me, you know, immediately does it, it actually looks pretty weak, and you can intuitively, like, without even knowing, like, tells here and there, just know it's weak and come over the top. I've done stuff like that before, but generally speaking, I think live tells are overrated. I mean, another thing live especially is people, when you get to the later stages of the tournaments, tends to be live players don't know reshove, calling, ranges. They really are just completely lost and don't really pay much attention to stack sizes either, especially the older players. Yeah, Yeah, people really don't pay attention to stack sizes. Like, it boggles my mind how often you see people will call, like, they'll have ten big blinds and they'll call, like, a three three big blinds pre, and then maybe even call a flop and leave themselves with five big blinds or something. And then check full. Yeah, yeah they just pay I mean. zero attention. Yeah, that's amazing. So there's a lot of value in just getting to the later stages of the tournaments where you can really just pick up a lot of dead chips because they're not going to call you nearly light enough. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you have, a, you have a lot more fold equity, which means you can be a little bit more patient, I think, sometimes. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, you can, you know, you can shove six... Six big blinds live and get folds all day long. Sometimes, not oh, to say I you saw, should let yourself get there, but I saw somebody shove fifteen hundred at four hundred, eight hundred with a hundred ante, and everybody folded. <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah. just complete utter shock. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And that was in that a sixteen hundred dollar tournament. Wow, are you serious? Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Um, one one thing I've I've done is like when I first sit down, and especially when I when I first started playing live. Um, I would be very nervous in the beginning, like just like, and I think that's pretty natural for a lot of people who haven't played live before and have played a lot on the internet. Like it's a completely different sensory experience, right? Like you actually have to like move chips, <laughs> and, you know, and you actually have to like put, lie to people's faces, right? So it's, <laughs> you're not used to that. That it's a completely different different sensory experience. So like I kind of chill out. Like I'm obviously if I'm dealt a, a monster early and and you know. I'm given opportunity, I'll, t- I'll take it, but I kind of, like, just chill for a little while and, and try to get my bearing, and, like, I find, like, once you win a small pot, like, you, you, you can breathe again, and it's a little more relaxing, and, and it's less so now that I have experience live, like, now I can pretty much just sit down and, and start playing, but for those who are listening that don't have a lot of live experience, um, and you're going to sit down and play live for the first time, like, relax, like, take an orbit or two, just kind of get your feet wet, play some small pots, um, it you will relax eventually, but 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 it is nerve wracking at first, and it's, it's kind of normal, I, I think. I think for a lot yeah. starting out. And what do you guys think about table chatter? Like you know, talking, making friends at the table. You feel that's good. You feel that's bad. 
or you just kind of do, you know, you just do it depending on how you're feeling that day. I try and be friendly to everyone, but I don't go necessarily out of my way to, to befriend them and become best buddies with anybody at the table. But I'm always usually laughing and smiling and, you know, just letting it. Some some people get off on being an absolute pricks at the table, and I've never understood that. They're just miserable in life, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I try to be friendly with everyone, especially yeah. just because of the fact that now that, you know, we're all business owners of, of Tournament Poker Edge, it's, like, important to get our name out and whatnot. So I make sure to put an extra effort into that. But generally speaking, I'll talk to anyone and bullshit with anyone. It makes a day go quicker. You might as well. Yeah. Uh, if someone's a complete prick next to me or something like that, I might uh, shut it off and, and go into my phone and, and whatnot. But generally speaking, I try to talk to everyone just because you get free information. And if they're friends with you, they're like much less cutthroat, it seems. Uh, yeah. I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Like, especially like, you know, the middle aged business owners, like, like they, they like talking and being friends. Like they're, they're having fun. So, you know, if you, like I, at the world series of poker, I had a guy on, on, on my left, take it easy on me because I was friendly to him. And like at the biggest stage and the biggest buy-in, he was, he, he actually folded to me and showed me hands that like in blind versus blind, that he should have been either calling or repopping me with, just because. Yeah, I've had right. the same. I've had the same thing happen before in weird scenarios like that, where just because, oh, well, you're a nice guy, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. fold here. Or, or yeah, and like he'll that. show you, and they'll show you the cards. Yeah. Like, like ace nine suited, ace nine suited. Oh. Ah, right, buddy, you got this. <laughs> and they'll say that's the reason. They'll say, yeah. ah, you know, you're, you're, you're my buddy. I'll let, you know, I'll let you have this one. Or yeah. they want to get to the, they want you to get to the final table with them. Like I've had that happen too. Like, like you know, they'll let it go, like because they want you to get to day two with them. Because you right. become friends. I mean, that's natural, right? I mean, you've become friend, like struck a conversation with someone for four day, four hours. You know, it'd be nice if they moved on with you, but like they take it yeah. extreme. You could take advantage of that. Yeah, no, oh, yeah. Uh, take advantage of it. I wouldn't take advantage of it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't give it at my detriment. But, but you know, but it's a win. It's a positive when someone you've been playing with for a long time makes it. But I think they just, you know, they they, they misinterpret the value of that, <laughs> and they, they take it too far. Right. Right. So as far as structures go, guys, um, like I've noticed recently, like the live scene, the, the, the structures have changed a little bit, um, whereas it used to be like really shallow stacks, pretty much the whole tournament grew from most live events. Like, you know, I'm talking about $200, $300 buy-ins. It seems like the trend is now to make these like super deep stack events um, for like $200 and get a big field and give you lots of levels and lots of play. Um, how, how does that change? That, I mean, have you guys adjusted to that at all when you play live? Is there is there something else, something you should be doing? Does it change the, the way you play live, or just any general observations on the the, the, the evolution of structures for live tournaments? So it's, it's probably a good thing, right, for for good players. Yeah, it's definitely a good thing for good players. I mean, you're definitely more inclined to play a lot more pots early when the stacks are so deep. But you know, it's more like a cash game, really, and you might get somebody who can't hold top pair, top kicker when you flop the world. So, you know, not that you treat it like a rebuy tournament, but you're so deep, you don't mind, you know, splashing around a little bit to try and stack somebody. Right. And, it, and I think those good structures certainly seem to be bringing a lot more people into the tournaments, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. I, I think we're generally seeing a bit of an explosion of, of the live tournament scene, um, at least in the U.S. Uh, if, if you look, like, online, you could almost, um, there's almost always some 
major, well, not major, but there's always, almost always some series going on in some region, like whether it's like some Heartland Poker Tour or a WSOPC or an, you know, an NEPT event, uh, there's, or just a general, like the Borgata doing a series, um, or like Turning Stone. Like, I think, I think there's just a lot more live activity than there was before, which is good because we can go out and play more. Um, but I guess from a variance perspective, live is going to have inherently more, more variance than the online, right? Because you're playing less, less, uh, less events, right? I mean, also, there's expenses. Yeah. yeah. You're so much more invested in every live tournament. Like, um, the last four big buy-in live tournaments I've played, I've gotten it in as 80-20 favorites and lost. <sighs> and if it's, if it's an online tournament, I literally, like, I'll shrug, oh, maybe I'll go for a walk, but, like, when you bust and you've traveled hours for this tournament, there's, like, nowhere to go. You almost lose your mind. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and it's tough. Like, I've probably played, you know, in the last three years, I've probably played, like, 30 live tournaments, or, like, 30 or 40 live tournaments, and I don't really have any results to go behind it, but I know for a fact, like, I'm absolutely dominating every time I play. I just, you know, the variance is big. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point you make. I know Diego and I were playing our last event in Atlantic City, and I busted in the first level, which is not easy to do. But, you know, if I, if I had busted at, like, 7 p.m., it would have been like, okay, I'll go get some dinner, and then I'll go back to my room and watch a, a movie, and then I'll go to bed. But when you bust at, like, 11.20, and the what tournament started at 11, yeah, you're just like, now what do I do? <laughs> so, I, you know, I was supposed to fly out the next day. I literally just went and rented a car and drove home. Eight hours. <laughs> the idea of sitting around, especially because it was my last tournament, it's not like I had anything to look forward to even the next day. Like, all I could do was wait 24 hours and then go to the airport. Oh, that's yeah, the worst. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm, just like, I'm just like, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to sit here. So I rented a car, and I drove to North Carolina from Atlanta yeah. City. <laughs> you know, to, be, to be honest, that's why I don't, I don't travel uh, to live tournaments, really, on airplanes anymore, because I hate the fact that when I bust, I have to wait for, like, the next airplane, and, like, sometimes the expenses are too much for me to really go on the one I want, whereas if I bring my car to a place, like, I bust, I literally have my backpack on my back as yeah. the river is being dealt, and I'm out <laughs> the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing more exciting than going to a live event, <laughs> and there's nothing more draining than driving back from a, a live event yeah. and busting. Yeah. It's like completely opposite spectrums, like how exciting it is to be getting near start time of a, like a, a, a decent-sized buy-in, and then how just draining it is to be sitting there with a full day of nothing to do but stand, be in a casino. It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. Yeah, it's and, and, it, yeah. and it sucks, too, because you, you generally have a lot of friends and buddies around and stuff. But they're all going through the same thing. They're, you know, but they're, yeah, they're, they're in their world, or they're still playing. Yeah, and yeah, it's 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 a weird sort of social non-social network that's happening <laughs> at poker tournaments. Yeah, and, yeah sometimes it's, it's better world, just get your car. Unless it's the World Series where like everyone's there for X amount of days, and you know, like uh, your friends will there'll always be one of your friends off on a certain day when you bust. 
Mm-hmm. Um, for these like circuit events and whatnot, a lot of people just come in for a couple circuit events and leave, or just come in for the main and leave. You literally like could be could have hundreds of friends around you, and none of them are really able to even entertain you in any which way because they're busy doing their own thing. Yeah, it's a uh, it's an interesting dynamic for sure. So, well, cool. Anything else to add before we uh, before we go to break? Ready to talk some yeah, hands? I think so. Yeah, we'll take a quick little break, and then we'll come back, and uh, we're actually going to discuss a few hands that some of us played um, at the circuit events up in Atlantic City. So uh, we'll get to that right after this break. This is Killingbird from TournamentPokerEdge.com, here to tell you about our exclusive rakeback program. Tournament Poker Edge offers up to 40% rakeback on sites such as Full Tilt Poker, Absolute Poker, Ultimate Bet, and Cake Poker. If you're playing online and not getting rakeback, you are just giving money away. So visit rakeback.tournamentpokeredge.com and sign up for the Tournament Poker Edge rakeback program and start getting paid to play today. Welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Joining us again are Sean Hendrickson and Jonathan Ween. And uh, as we mentioned, we're going to go over a few hands that some of us played at the World Series of Poker Circuit events up in Atlantic City. And we'll just kind of discuss some interesting spots and maybe get some feedback from from each other and and uh, and see if maybe we could have done some things differently or, or, or if we completely messed them up uh, or whatever. So... Um, so yeah, we're going to jump right into it. I'm actually, I'm going to discuss the first hand of the session. So, uh, this is actually in the $570 event two at the circuit event. And it's fairly early. We're at 75,150. And both I and the villain in this hand have somewhere in the neighborhood of 18K. As with anything, the challenge of, of live poker is remembering the hand. So, you know, I might have an amount off here or there or a a suit off or something like that, but I think in general I, I got this pretty close. So, um, under the gun raises to 400, and I look down at ace queen of spades in in middle position, and I elect to just flat, which I think is you know I, I think raising is probably fine, but flatting seems okay too. Do you guys, John, Sean, are you guys cool with just flatting there that deep? I flat there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I actually I, I think. Ween might have actually been in my head when I flatted it because I've heard him talk a lot about playing Ace Queen, so um, so I opted to just flat there. You know how I roll, buddy. It's all about flatting the Ace Queen. That's well, right. I mean, if you three bet any four bets, you have to fold. Yeah. And your hand has so much value. I mean, I don't know much about under the gun, obviously, but I just think. What position I, are you in again? I'm sorry. I, I'm I'm like in middle position somewhere. I, I don't know exactly, but yeah, so, somewhere in middle position. And yeah. Flatting's the only option, I think. Yeah, okay. I agree. Yeah, and just to give you an idea, like I, you know, we had been at the table for a, you know a few levels at this point, and and I think the kid who's under the gun and opens looks pretty much like an online internet player. Like he's you know he's pretty young and and he seems he definitely seems confident, uh, confident, and his raises have made sense and things like that. So he's definitely not a dog. So you know I'm assuming he has some sort of playable hand that he's opening from under the gun. So I yeah so I flat the ace queen of spades, and then a guy behind me flats as well. 
uh, and then the blinds fold. So at this point, the pot's around 1,400-ish, uh, and the flop comes ace, queen, rag, uh, rainbow. So obviously I flop what I think is a pretty good hand here. The original raiser bets about 800, and I actually, I think for a minute, and I actually elect to just call, because I feel like, A, I'm kind of half hoping that the, guy, the other guy who's still in the hand will maybe attempt some sort of squeeze. Um, but I also just kind of feel like I'm ahead of so many things that I fold if I, if I make some kind of raise. So I, I have to just kind of flat and I'm in, you know, I'll be in position on the turn. Hopefully he fires more with like ace king or ace jack. Um, do you guys raise there? Are you okay with just flat, flatting on the flop? I think flatting's fine there too. I mean, you still have somebody act behind you. You have position the rest of the hand on the under the gun raiser. And he may or may not have something, but, you know, it kind of disguises the strength of your hand by flatting the flop there. Yeah. Yeah, I flat I flat for a variety of reasons, mostly to see what the guy behind us does first. Because if the guy, like, if you think about it, if we just flat there and then the guy behind us raises and the under-the-gun guy now flats, mm-hmm. we, like, now have a lot more information about whether our ace-queen is good, could even fold it. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought of it from that standpoint. I was, yeah, you I was get more of, information that way. Yeah. What, we, yeah. What, what, what would we possibly be folding to there? What was the other card? The eight, was, wasn't the flop ace-queen what? It was some rag, like a five or something. So, I mean, are we? I guess are we worried? We're, we're not really worried about aces or queens. Are we worried I mean, about fives, I guess? If let's say, let's say it goes, let's say like you flat, um... That guy raises, and then the original under the gun guy like shoves. Mm-hmm. Like he could have aces or queens. Like aces or queens, definitely possible. Definitely possible. Fives possible. Like I don't really know what he's shoving there. Ace king. I mean ace five, but I don't even know if he's shoving ace king there. I mean, some people might overvalue it, yeah. but I mean that's the only hand. I'm right. just saying, like it gives you more information by just flatting. But right, right. Um. I mean, if there's tons of action in front of you, you can, in fact, fold top two. Like, it's not something I make a habit of, but it all depends on what happens. Right. If it goes shove, shove. Yeah, you're pretty deep. <laughs> you <Yeah. can> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, we're over 100 big blinds deep. To start yeah, that's true. So. so I do flat, and then the other guy in the hand goes away. So we go to the turn with about 3K in the pot, and the turn is another blank. I wish I knew the exact cards, but let you know, call it a deuce or something. I don't know if it matters a ton. Um, but it was something, when it hit, I was not worried about the card at all. I still okay. felt like my hand was, was great. Um, at this point, the end of the gun razor checks. So again, we got about 3k in the pot. He checks. Now I'm just trying to, trying to figure out how to get paid. I feel like he actually has a pretty decent hand, but I, I also feel like he probably thinks the way I've played my hand, that my hand is fairly strong as well. Um, so I bet 2K uh, into the 3K pot. I think I could actually bet a little less there, maybe like 15 or 1,700, but but I elected to bet 2K. I think 2K is fine because if he calls you, you're it's pretty much guaranteed the guy's got like ace-king, yeah. uh, possibly ace-jack. He's either going to pay you off or he's not, so you might as well bet bigger and get more value. I'm also kind of at this point trying to build a pot to get you know to get as much as I can because I feel like I'm obviously ahead, yeah, uh, and I just want to get as many chips as I can. I just don't know if 2K is is a I don't know if, it, if that's going to make him fooled. Whereas he would have called 1600 or something. I mean, 
I think in live poker, if you bet two yellow chips, it looks a lot weaker than betting like seventeen hundred and seventy-five. Right, right, right. Yeah, I was actually just about to say that. Do you like? We, we, was the pot readable? Like, were you able easily able to figure out how much was in the pot when you made your bet, or was it just really hard to tell? I, I think I was pretty. I was pretty able to tell. Would he be able yeah. to tell? Because like one of the things that I, I think it, I, I've noticed is like they a lot of times. Live players don't have any concept of what's in the pot and and what you're betting compared to what's in the pot, um, and they're just going on the strength of their hands. So to, to to Ween's point, like you could bet larger here because they're they're not really paying attention if it's a two thirds or a three fourths or a, or a one half um, size pot. Whereas if it's very clear what's in the pot, if if everyone knows that there's three K in the pot and you put two yellow chips, like you, you definitely have a better sense of the pot, you know, your bet to, to pot ratio. So I think it matters if you could tell that or not. But if it's a young internet guy who's, you know, shown to be pretty competent, especially if he only raised the 400 at 75, 150 and not to 600 or something absurd, you, you got to give him credit for probably keeping track of the pot size in his head to begin with. Right. So this guy, yeah. you're right. This guy probably is keeping track. I mean, it's all bill independent, but based on what we know about this guy with our limited information, you have to imagine even his flop bet size, you you're, you got to guess that, you know, he has an idea what the best size is, pot size yeah. is. Yeah, I, I definitely, like I said, I, I definitely felt like he was a, a good player, a good competent player. So, um, so yeah, I think he had a good idea what the pot was. Um, so, yeah, so I bet 2K, and this is kind of where it, get, it gets interesting. He thinks for not a real long time, maybe 30 seconds to 45 seconds, and makes it 5,500. What's behind? I think at this point he would have about 14. 15k behind, maybe a little, maybe actually no, I'm sorry, probably about 11 or 12k. Okay. So, so it's 5500. You're gonna flat 5500. They'll now be if you were to flat, there'd be 12, 13, like 14k in the pot. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, there'd be about 14k That's in the pot, nice. and we would we would and we would both have about 11k left. I, I would almost always flat if I'm you. Um, cool. Just because it looks like if he's got a hand, if he's like doing it as a bluff, then his only thing to do on the river would be to shove. Yeah. So he yeah. continues with his bluffing hands, and if he's got a hand like ace-king or whatever, and the river's a blank, like, you've built the pot enough where he's gonna think he has the best hand a decent amount of the time and call you then as well. Right. And um, if he does I have mean, a set, it's a cooler at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Based on yeah, what we know, we're trying to get most the most amount of value from our hands. And you guys right. think if Derek shoves now, then it's the guy's like, alright, this guy's got a hand. Like, this guy, he, he loses all his ability to to continue with his the lower end of his range right i don't even think yeah. like i literally don't know what he could have besides a bluff there i mean who would play ace king like that when right. based on how strong derek's played his hand thus far right right you would just call with ace king right it's literally it's like gotta be a bluff and you have to let him continue to bluff i agree unless he actually has fives uh, yeah, that's possible um, it's yeah, either a, it, it's like a bluff or nuts type situation. It literally would never be ace king unless he's really bad. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And then this is this is kind of the only time I remember where I actually got a, sort of a, a tell. It, I wouldn't even call it a tell so much as just a gut feeling. Like basically, when he made a fifty five hundred, I was just looking down to, at my chips to, to to see if a shove made sense. Chip, you know, numbers wise, like, is it, it would it be a complete overshove or like, I was just like, I got this guy right where I want him. I'm just gonna go ahead and ship it in there. And, and as I was counting my chips, and I kind of looked up, and something about it just made me go, wow, he, he has a, he loves his hand. 
I don't know if he has a better hand than me or not, but he definitely likes his hand. So I would love to say that I flatted for the reason you said, Ween, so that he could tool out on the river and, and continue his bluff. But I really flatted because I just kind of got scared. I was like, well, I don't know if my hand is as good as I think it is. So I do just flat. Well, you flatted with the intentions of calling a shove on the river, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I definitely had no intentions of folding, folding. at this point, especially because okay. I had committed so much. But um, but I wasn't going to be super stoked about it, I don't think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so then the pot is about 14K, and, and the river is not a complete blank. It actually comes a 10 of diamonds, which... So now we have, like, ace, queen, you know, blank, blank, ten. And now there are three diamonds on the board as well. Did it go runner, runner, diamond, or...? Yeah. Yep. Turn and river were diamonds. Yeah. So now that, you know, not that I necessarily think, you know, hands like king, jack are really in his range, or or that he went runner, runner, diamonds on me, but I, um, basically just sort of pointing out that, it, you know, it wasn't like another, like, offsuit three or something. It, it was sort of a, a card that's in, in the mix. Um, Hard that could hit his bluffing range. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he could have had some sort of combo draws and things like that that could have got more interesting for him on the turn. Yeah. So, yeah, so like we said, there's about 14K in the pot, and he probably thinks 40, 30 to 45 seconds and checks. And you ship. And <laughs> you ship. <laughs> and I think what happened was it, my, my fear from, you know, that, that I – that sort of read or, or sort of sense that I got from when he raised his 5,500 just sort of carried over to the hand. And I actually remember, I almost said out loud because um, another member of TPE, Pierre, who's good friends with Big Dog, was at the table. And I almost looked at him and said, Big Dog would kill me for not going for value with this hand. And then I turned over my ace-queen for my two pair. Um, yeah. I didn't say it, but, I, but I, I was about to say it. And I was thinking it in my head. And, and the villain sort of shook his head Wait, why Super, didn't you, you know, flip it over? Yeah, why didn't you check and let him? He has to show. He was lost aggressor. Yeah, why didn't you at least get that information? That's uh, a good point. Well, <laughs> I, yeah, there, there's a nice little there's a nice little live intricacy. Um, yeah, I just said, man, I can't believe I'm not going. You know, or I thought to myself, I can't believe I'm not going for value, and I just, and I think I I might have even said something to that effect. But like I said, I think I said I'm I think I'm pretty sure I was supposed to bet here, but then I decided not to. I show my two pair. He shakes his head sort of like he's bummed and turns over pocket aces. Wow. For top set. So I think he was hoping that I would bluff River. I, I assume that's what he was hoping. Wow. Wow. Can't believe that's yes. what he had. Yeah, me neither. I felt so good about my hand, especially when he shook his head. I'm like, oh, he, must, he has ace-king. And he's, wow. you know, he's, so, he's so bummed that, that he has ace-king. Yeah, it literally, it had to be nuts or a complete bluff. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Just to sort of to throw an, an extra wrench in the system, I find out the next day that he's a tournament poker edge member, the villain, um, ah, and, knew, and knew who I was the whole time, but but told me he didn't want to say that he was a member at the table because he didn't want people to know that he might actually be decent or competent, or at least better than you know most of the people at the table. Yeah, just but, to let yeah. him know, uh, you miss value on the river there, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> Derek has to be calling all the time. For yeah, Derek's not, Derek's not really flatting there with Ace Jack. Yeah, exactly. He's got Ace even, minimum. I'd even fold Ace King there. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it, it was it was a, a weird hand and obviously sort of a bummer of a hand. But I just thought there was some really interesting points, especially on the turn where he get where he raises me and I'm completely petrified. Interesting so, hand. Interesting yeah. hand. I mean, you played your hand really bad though. 
Just yeah, in terms, I think just in terms like not like really bad in terms of like the result, but your hand has a lot of value in most situations, except for on the river, I guess. If we polarize him on the nuts or a pure bluff. Yeah, I don't know doesn't... what other hands he's calling with that we beat on the river. Ace king. Yeah, maybe. he doesn't. He doesn't continue. Like, I'm surprised he didn't continue his bluff on the river if it was a bluff. So I guess if he was, like, a bluff that had shut down on the river, you weren't going to get value anyway. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think he could think you were going to bet that river after just check-calling this turn. Yeah. That right, sense? Uh, that's a good point. Yeah, that's true. I actually yeah, don't I've, know I've what gone, value we got. I've gone back and forth in my head between saying, wow, I played that so good I lost the minimum, to going, well, that's pretty results-oriented. I really should have bet the river. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, at first I really thought it was really bad to not shove the river, but I guess now that we we truly think about it, what does he have to call you? Yeah, he's not Ace calling his king, and that's the only hand we really think we're getting value from. So yeah, so I guess maybe your check on the river was right. Yes, I did something right. Fine. Nice job. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how I feel. I don't know how I feel about any of it. Um, I don't think you did anything wrong on any street though. Like. I definitely play. I definitely play it pre-flop like you did. I play flop the way you did. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Try to get value sometimes on I check, turn. Sometimes I check turn depending on opponent. Yeah, but you're kind of trying to build a pot. That's the thing. On the turn, you're, you're, it's not really defined what he could have. When he check raises, yeah. it kind of makes things very interesting. But yeah, I, I don't think you did anything. Now that I think about it, I don't think you did really anything wrong on any street. Well, good to know I did one thing right in Atlantic City. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Cool. All right. So let's uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next hand. I know Diego, you had uh, one that you wanted to bring up. So uh, let's run that down. Yeah. Cool. Um, I this is definitely not as intricate as the one that you just ran through. It was a really interesting hand. Um, this one stops pretty well. Let's see. Let's see what you guys think. Um, I was. This was in the event three. It's a three hundred dollar buy-in. There was uh, five hundred twenty players. Um, I was at my starting table. Uh, it was we. Lines were at 100, 200 with the 25 ante, so it was the first ante level. And at my table was a guy who had never played in a tournament before, and he was not leveling. He was a gigantic amateur, didn't know what he was doing, um, and did some crazy stuff, which I'll, I'll, I'll talk about in just a second, and was the focus of the table because he had 30K, because he was sucking out on everyone, um, and just owning souls <laughs> without <laughs> on the river, basically, after getting it all in on the flop behind. Um, and, and he was just, you know, doing some really weird stuff. So the one hand that he that, that happened that was relevant here is um, he got it all in for 15k the previous level, before Anthes. He, he shoved on a ace um, and then two, two low card flop with... Um, and, and two, there were there were two spades and an ace, and he shoved king queen suited two spades as well, over a guy had had raised him already. So he bet guy raised he shoved 15k into like at that point it was like a 1k pot or something with king queen suited, <laughs> uh, and he he hit the the guy had um, a trip aces and a set of aces and he hit a spade on the river to win a 30k pot from that guy. I like uh, it. <laughs> I see nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> um, and and you know he just generally has he had the attention of the table. He's like one of those things where like all the other live people were like this guy's gonna win the tournament. Watch, you know, all, all mad at him. Um, 
and and so and he was doing he was doing crazy things. I mean, he was that was just one example, and there were like five instances of him doing things like that. So that's that's. Can we make him a guest pro? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He probably plays his hand better than I do, so maybe he should. <laughs> um, so okay, so that's background into the villain. Um, I have Ace Nine suited in the big blind. Uh, he's three to my right, so I guess uh, that would make him small blind cutoff. Um, and he makes it 600 at the 100-200 level, 25 ante. Uh, with the ace-9 suit in the big blind, I just call. You know, generally I want to keep the pot small. You know, uh, it's a marginal ace. Um, You're the I only caller? I'm the only caller, yeah. Okay. Um, I think I'm ahead of his range because he was opening a lot whenever Foldus, he just didn't know, you know. I mean, actually kind of in some ways doing some things right. But, but I just called there. I didn't want to play a big pot out of position with a guy who's a maniac um, and liable to, to make life weird after the flop. So I, I'm assuming calls are right there, but you guys, are you guys going to raise to try to get big pot with this guy, or do you want to keep it small? That's my first question. What was your stock? Uh, 15K at 100, 200, 25 ante. I'm just calling. Okay. As wild okay. as he is, you want to wait till you make a hand and then stack him, or double up through him. And that's what I'm thinking. So that's what I do. Um, and so we go to the flop uh, at 1750 in the pot, and the flop is ace to queen. Um, once again, spades. I don't have spades. I have hearts. And so it's two spades. Um, the ace was not with one of the spades. So it's the two of spades and the queen of spades uh, and an ace on board. So I have top pair. Um, and, you know, obviously it's not my suit. There's some draws out there. I bet a 1,000 here because, I mean, like, he's, he's also stationed. He's been stationed in the end crazy so i figure that i'm ahead of his range and i, I you know i want to try to get some value and like i would check the turn if he called and i mean i don't know should i just be checking and letting him bet he wasn't really betting that much like when check to. well what's your plan if he raises you on the flop i was yeah that's that's part of the problem i think with my lead out because i i he did he did raise me on the flop and i was a little confused so i don't know if i really had a, a good plan i i want to i thought he would just call me most of the time but but i i could be you gotta have a plan if he's gonna raise your flop after you don't lead there. Right, right, right. So, so I mean, so it's probably bad, right? It's probably not the the way to well, play this hand. If you're playing on if you're playing on bet folding top pair there, yeah, I'd, I'd probably especially if he's been crazy. Right. I'd, I'd, I'd say it's pretty bad. I'd, I'd check and see what he okay. does. Because I bet the thousand, and he shoved on me his thirty k. <laughs> and so yes. like, so you snap call. No, I didn't call. I didn't call. Yeah, no, I don't call either. Okay, I was going to say. Yeah. I, I, was, I, I mean, we saw him do it with, you know, an under, you know, flush draw. Um, but I just don't feel like I can put my whole stack on the line there. And, and the reason I bring this hand up is because this is such a wild card. Like, I don't know what this guy is doing, what he's capable of. And so I don't, you know, I, I, I you know, after talking about it, probably leading the thousand is probably not right. But my bigger question is, do you... Like, based on what we saw him do before, are you going to call here and try to just get a giant stack or just, like, way too much variance and um, we have no idea how this guy plays and just retreat and, and, and reserve our stack? Is that I the think right can, plan here? I think you can find a better spot against him to double up. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think yeah. that's the answer. Okay, cool. And that's kind of what I thought, too. So I, 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 I did fold, and um, and well, I don't know what he had, but... Um, no telling. It could have been anything at that point, <laughs> Yeah. Cool. Okay, cool. That was my hand. All right. Um, John, I know you had a hand 
that you thought was pretty interesting. Why don't you run that one down for us? Yeah, I, th- I mean, for a lot of people, they'll think it's just a standard cooler or whatever, but I don't really think it is. Just based on what the guy was saying during the ha- during the previous hands, like all he kept talking about was how we have twenty thousand chips and the structure's so good. Why would I risk my stack doing this? Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And uh, some guy, one hand that like really made me think that. I could have possibly gotten away from the hand that I'm about to talk about is guy on the button raises with two aces at 100, 200 with the quarter ante to 600. Big blind makes it 1600. The button makes it 3600. And the guy just calls with two, it's two aces on the button versus two kings in the big blind. And uh, I think like a bet goes in, it goes like check, check on the flop, uh, button bets turn. And then it goes like check check on the river, and they show aces and kings, and the guy in the big blind was like, "Well, I didn't get crazy with it." And the guy on my right goes, "What? You're getting pretty crazy with the two kings there, like calling a four bet or whatever." And I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Uh, there you go. That's some, that's some information, right? <laughs> so this is this is the information that I should have taken into account when it's like five way pot, um, possibly more. Um, it's, it was 100, 200 with a quarter ante. I raised to, to 475 under the gun with two fives. Uh, get five callers. Flops 10, 10, 6. And it's check through. And then, uh, I turn a full house with fives. Um, so it's 10, 10, 6, 5. Um, the guy that was saying that the guy with kings went crazy. Um, bets for 550. I make it 1350 to get to like start to build a pot, see what happens for people behind me if anyone has a 10 that they're in love with. Um, I've got about 29k to start the hand, and this guy has about 22k. No, probably like 20k. Um, so yeah, so he makes it 550. I make it 1350, and I'm actually wrong about his starting stack. Um, he only had like 13. Maybe like seventeen thousand to start the hand. I don't okay. know. Um, so anyway, he makes it five fifty. I make it thirteen fifty. The guy makes it forty three hundred. And like, if he has anything but ace ten there, I think he's just calling, fearing that I have ace ten. So like, his ten jacks, ten queen, ten king, where like we'd think most bad people would go broke on. I think he just flats my raise there, just because of yeah. how he was playing and all the comments he was making. So he makes right. it forty three hundred total. Um, and he's only got like 13k behind, so I can't really flat there because like he's gonna shove river always, or right. should be shoving river always just based on stack sizes. There'll be like he's he's not really you don't think he's ever capable of three betting you with air on the flop, is he? Or no. The turn, so. No. Never. Yeah. So it's literally like, am I getting value from a ten, or does he have pocket sixes? His range right. is completely like sixes. A 10, 10, 6. Not even any 10. Ace 10, really. Yeah, it's literally, like, only Ace 10 based on what he was telling me. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, all in retrospect. I end up shoving because he's only got, you know, 13k total. Um, I shove on him. He calls with two sixes. Um, I mean, I kind of thought I was going to get value from a 10. But in retrospect, like it's literally like only ace ten and sixes. 
yeah. that he could have, or ten six suited. I mean, and, from the sounds of it, he's not, probably ne- he's probably never playing ten six suited either. Uh, yeah, I mean, nah, he he was getting a little silly pre flop, but never like putting a chip in the middle post flop unless it was like, you know, he had he it. He had the world. Right. Yeah, so I think I could have folded. Uh, I ended up not. But I think based on what I knew, I think that's a fold. And then you, but you hit your one outer, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. Are there are there ever times in these spots where you're, you know, whatever percent, ninety percent sure you're beat, but you just you just chalk it up to a cooler and call because you have a full house. I mean, I mean, the thought the thought in my head was like I was pretty sure he had sixes. But I also thought, like, based on my image, like, I'm the crazy internet player. Like, he could still be trying to get value from, like, Ace-10 and, like, King-10 and all that stuff. But, yeah, I mean... But is he, even calling, is he even calling a shove there? Is he calling a shove there with Ace-10 or King-10? I think he is with Ace-10. I, I think he may even fold. From what he had said earlier, he may have yeah. gone up. Ace-10's not good here. I guess that's true. I guess he might... You know, I mean, you never know for sure, but I mean, I don't know if he's going to risk his whole tournament at that stage. Yeah. He's definitely still has enough chips to fold. I agree. I should have folded just based on what he was saying. If it was like some random hand, it's like chalked up as a cooler, you know, but based on what I knew about this guy, I think I could have folded. Right. I mean, it's so. definitely it, a fold. I wouldn't recommend doing it all the time, but you probably could possibly find a fold there. Yeah, I think I should have found a fold there, to be honest. And it's it's actually a really interesting hand from the standpoint of live versus online because online you would have never known any of that about him and online you'd never. I mean, holding there. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I mean, granted, he might put in the chat box. He might type all that stuff he said in the chat box. But you know, ninety five percent of the time, you're not going to know that he's that nitty or that he's he values his tournament life that much or. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty interesting from that standpoint. Like you could maybe find a full live and you're just hitting the call button as fast as possible or, or, or the all-in button, you know, as fast as possible online. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Sean, why don't we move on to uh, to one of the hands you played? Okay. Uh, it was the last day I was there. I was playing the $230. It was just like a one-day event because uh, I was flying out the next morning. And start with 8K, I think, in chips. Blinds were 15300 a little background. Uh, the villain in the hand had kind of, he had, he was definitely a station preflop. And other than that, I mean, he had actually, uh, I'll explain more as I get into the hand, but he was definitely played rather awkwardly, uh, to say the least. So I actually, my image was kind of erratic. There was a lot of limping at my table, and so I raised like a queen jack off on the button with three limpers. And the flop came king high, and they checked me, and I bet. And the old guy on my right called. And the turn was a 10, and he checked, I checked, and the river's a 9, and he bet pretty big, so I went all in. <laughs> and he calls, and I'm like, straight, and I turn it over, and he goes, what the hell were you betting on the flop for? And I told him that I thought my queen high was good, and <laughs> he didn't take too kindly to that. So my image definitely was interesting up to this point. So anyway, so uh, I have, what did I have exactly? I had 10,500, like, give or take, within 100. And blinds are 150-300 with a quarter ante, and I um, made it 750 under the gun with uh, two kings. And the I get called by the 
guy that was kind of a station that played, you know, kind of oddly, and I got called by my buddy on the right that was uh, not too happy with me to begin with. <laughs> so the flop comes down, jack-8-6, uh, two clubs, and the guy on my right checked, and so I bet 1875 into, like, 2500 because I knew if they had a flush draw, they were calling. That's just how they played. There was no way they were folding any type of a flush draw. They were folding any type of a jack. So the guy that was the station kind of, he called after a little bit of hemming and hawing. And the old guy on my right, my, my new buddy, he folded. So the pot was like, what was it, about 36, 25, 5,100. And I have about 7,500 behind. So the turn's the nine of hearts, offsuit nine. So the board's jack, eight, six, nine. So I check, planning on, you know, getting it in. And mm-hmm. he goes ahead and he bets 5K. Now, he had done this about three times, like five hands before this. He had bet 4K on the turn into, like, 2,300, and he hadn't shown down any of these hands. So you have two kings, 7,500 behind, blinds 153, and the board's jack-8, 6, 9 with two clubs. And I only had, I only had 7,500 behind. What do you guys think there? I mean, I guess I fold. That's a weird spot. It seems like a lot of times when I, when I see that, Sort of a bet. Yeah. It's somebody who had like a what they thought was a pretty strong hand that flopped like ace jack. Yeah. And then that that nine comes and like scares them. Like all of a sudden they go, oh my god, what if he has a ten? Or like, <laughs> so so they feel like they have to protect their hand all of a sudden, and they do it in yeah. such an overdramatic fashion of like double, you know, betting twice the pot or something. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's a weird spot, but that, that's kind of what I've seen from that sort of activity before. I'd have I'd have a hard time folding here, but. I mean, I don't know. I've talked to a few people, and some say you could fold there. Some say just get it in. I ended up getting it in. I just felt like if he had any type of a combo draw, a pair and a flush draw, or even like king jack, queen jack, ace jack, you know, he may go ahead and do this. And the fact that he had done it a few times before kind of made me lean towards, you know, maybe he was doing it, you know, pretty light. Like, I had absolutely no idea what he was doing it with. You know, I hadn't seen him. I'd seen him do it, but I hadn't seen him flip over his cards. So I went ahead and got it in, and he had queen 10 off so he floated me on the flop with just a gutter and, and over to the board Jeez. but i mean i don't know if i can find a fold there i mean when you say fold but i mean how often are you actually finding a fold there i mean you just think you're crushed so often even with this I, just think, I just think that turn like completes a lot of two pair hands yeah i don't know and then like the only thing i'm really kind of hoping for is him having like you know, jack ten for like a combo draw. Yeah, even with the flush draw out there, though. I mean, I don't know if he really tools out there with the fl- like he's committed. So, but based on the fact that he had done it, I think at least three times, maybe four times up to that point, with the you know the pretty big overbet that made zero sense. Would that make you more inclined to call or less inclined to call? He hadn't shown down one of those hands yet. He hadn't been called. You don't really. He never really showed down it's, anything, right? Yeah, so, you, I mean, other than him doing it a few times since you don't have any information on what he may be doing it with, it just kind of err on the side of caution. I mean, I would probably go on the side of caution, but I could definitely see how that would influence you into calling more often. Yeah. Just because it seems like he's pretty reckless. Yeah. But I still think, like, I don't know, I don't really know what he flips up there where you're just, like, fist pumping. The, like, yeah, the only thing I could think good. about was ace-jack, 
king jack, but I mean, I have two kings already, so you know, uh, just yeah. kind of weird. I don't know. I, I guess I, I mean, I should maybe should have found the fold there. I I don't. I'm still kind of on the fence which way I should have gone on the turn there. Do you ever? Yeah, like I, I can't bet turn. I don't think. I mean, I can't bet call turn ever. No. No. Yeah, like so I, I said, I, I I feel like that's gonna be ace jack quite a bit, but it but that's literally the only hand that we're really in good shape against, right? I mean. Yeah. It's two pairs and sets and straights and that, yeah, that makes, up, makes up the entire rest of his range. So such a scary board. Yeah, so I probably should have found a fold there. That was probably a mistake on my part. How, how many? What would your stack have been if you folded? You said uh, like seventy, 70 like seventy-five hundred. Yeah, so I still have twenty-five bigs. Yeah, which is a lot live. I mean. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I guess you could probably find a fold there, but I might not be. Yeah, yeah. At the time, I, I you know. I wasn't in love with it, but I thought felt like I had to get it in. But just be based on the dynamics and how he had been playing, you know. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, definitely an interesting spot. Well, cool. I think those were some pretty interesting hands. Um, it and some of them certainly demonstrated things that that you'll see live that you that you won't see online, and and some of the some of the, the interesting characters and interesting actions that you'll see people make. So. Yeah, you never know what you're going to run into. Yeah. Well, I definitely uh, definitely appreciate you guys coming on and, and sharing those those hands with us, and also giving you know Diego and I some feedback on our hands. And we'll look forward to having you guys on the podcast again in the near future. So thanks again, guys. Absolutely. Yeah, so enjoy good. it. Cool. We're gonna take a quick break, uh, and then Diego and I will be back to wrap things up here on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Hey guys, this is Killingbird from Tournament Poker Edge. Have you checked out the Tournament Poker Edge League? This is an opportunity for you to compete against your fellow Tournament Poker Edge members for tons of great prizes, plus, most importantly, bragging rights. The league runs several 10-week cycles with a variety of days and start times to meet just about anyone's schedule. The buy-ins range from $3 to $5, so whether you're grinding the small-stakes tourneys or playing high-stakes, anyone can participate. Head over to TournamentPokerEdge.com and visit the forums for all the details and to sign up for the next cycle. Hope to see you there! Okay, welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Special thanks to Ween and Cougars for stopping by today. Really nice to have those guys in. Um, you know, once again, a free training session for us, right, man? Yeah, I, lo- I love it. We get to, you know, really dig into their minds. They get to look at our hands, right? And, and just we get that free coaching. I mean, I think we've said it before. I kind of started the site so that we can get free coaching, right? <laughs> yeah. It's working out pretty good so yeah, far, too. Exactly. And, and they haven't caught on, so it's yeah. great. <laughs> well, now, now the cat's out of the bag. They're, yeah, they're gonna stop showing up, right? <laughs> and it, it was perfect timing too to have that discussion coming right off of a, of a you know sort of a big live session for all of us yeah. um, while everything was fresh in our mind to hear what they had to say and and for me I know it was nice to hear that I didn't completely screw up that that ace queen versus ace ace hand. Uh, uh, I was so rooting for you to get bashed and you know <laughs> like I, I was so rooting for you to take abuse, but uh, yeah, fine, I'll I'll, I'll you know. I'll, I'll be proud of you. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was coming, and and I you know I wish 
like I told Ween, I, w- I wish I could say that I, I played it the way I did for all the right reasons, but, right. Uh-huh. but you know, I think after talking it through, I think they had, they had a good point. Like, there's just not a lot. If I jam that river, there's not a lot that I'm getting called by that I beat. Yeah. Know? So yeah. checking point is not so terrible. And, and that's know? what I kind of took away from that. I mean, that's the biggest thing I took away from the whole conversation. Uh, and it's not. It's it's definitely applicable live, but I think it's just applicable to all poker. Is you know, giving putting your opponent, put yourself in the opponent's shoes and and your opponent's range, and you know what. What could potentially he have that he's going to call you with that you're you're beating? I mean, and you always have to. I, I, I like I like that way of thinking. It, it's really helpful because it prevents you from you know paying too much when 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 you have to when 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 you get raised and you, and you have to fold or or have to call a raise um, and just you know trying to to get value where it's not there. Um, you know you just have to, yeah. to avoid spots like that. I, I really got a lot of that. I like thinking about that because when you do get to that river. Uh, he's not. He's never going to have ace jack. He's not. You know. He's not playing ace jack like that. So, and he's not playing a, a weaker ace that way either. So, yep. what is yeah. it going to be? You know. I think ace king is like the best you can hope for. And even that, I think he might fold to that jam on the river. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, your line is so strong if you do that. So, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that. And and, and I also took away um, my in my hand. I really when I when I, you know, I my first thought. And it, I think it's pretty apparent when we started to explain the hand is that, well, this guy is bad and a calling station, and I want to get involved in pots with this bad player. But I got myself in a spot out of position, right, which mm. shows you how powerful position is because I got owned by the worst player in the in the tournament, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I got completely owned by the worst <laughs> player in the tournament when I had top pair. Like yeah. I just got owned because you know, and I don't know if it's necessarily position, but position does play a big part in in, in I think that situation. So, um, so okay, and I mean I'm not I'm not doubting calling the I think it was what I say Ace Nine suited. Yeah. I mean I don't doubt calling Ace Nine suited from from there. I think it's it's fine. But when I let out, you know, I let out into a wild card and I gave him a lot of of options, a lot of power, and he just doesn't, you know, not that he knew what he was doing, but because he is a wild card and he's just going to fire bullets all over the place, like I can't figure out the story that's happening. Um, when I lead out, I just make it so much harder to play that hand. And my thinking was, well, bad player, and he had been, you know, he does, he did call down a lot too. So I was like, well, I'm going to get value out of my top pair. But I really should have been playing a small pot with the top pair and let him make stupid mistakes. And then when I get to the river, I'll know if my ace nine is good or not. And I and right. and, and then I can get my value because I'm not probably you know maybe I get three streets of value from a worse ace, but uh, you know. But there's too many chances of that craziness happening. And and I and I I kind of flubbed that. And I it was interesting because you know you just I, that guy might have been playing online against me at some point, but because I don't have the visual cues and you know I don't know that I have a crazy person. You know, when there's no table talk and stuff, like I got all that information and I really didn't use it appropriately. And there's that's a great thing about live. You have all that additional layer of information. So I got that. I mean, I don't know if we really talked about it during the hand, but I did get that from from that conversation. So that was pretty neat. Right. Yeah. One thing that, that I took from the entire experience, too, and we didn't really talk about it with with Weed and Cougars, but um, I, I kind of learned about myself is that I have a hard time resetting mentally after a bad beat or a cooler or just playing a hand bad. Like, I think I do that pretty well online, maybe because I'm distracted by other tables and stuff. But, right. I, you know, I don't think I played particularly poorly after that ace-queen versus ace-ace hand, but I don't know that I ever 
got my edge back either. Like, I think I spent a lot of time thinking about the hand and kind of yeah. stewing on it. And, uh, instead of kind of getting back into my game and, and continuing to play the best poker that I could. Yeah. And I think that was kind of a theme for me throughout the whole week. And we talked about that because, I mean, you're, it's just completely different. It's one tournament. It's all you're focused on. You're watching people at the table. You have a limited number of hands coming to you per hour and it's everything. And so mm-hmm. you're so emotionally invested in it that it does become harder to, to detach yourself from what, you, what just happened. I would imagine if you played live a lot more, it would become a little more routine for you. But since we both don't play live a lot, I can see easily how that would happen to you. And it would, it would definitely happen. And it's happened, it's happened to me before too. So I, you know, I've been there um, before. I mean, I, I mean, I played, I mean, this is a diff- obviously a different scale, but I played the main event the last two years and I, it took me like months to get over the main event the last two years. Right. <laughs> I have to tell you, like I, I busted out day one uh, in, in 2009, and, and I and I don't think I played my hand right, so you know I deserved to bust. And I, we, we can go over that hand another time when we're looking for more ammo to to beat me up. Um, <laughs> but I, it took me months to get over that hand, and then this year I got to day three, and I don't I didn't do. I don't think anything wrong. Um, I checked with a lot of people on the way I busted out. I I, I tried to re-steal a blind versus blind with uh, King Nine suited against a pretty tight player, um, and he just happened to have queens. And um, but I had like 19 big blinds. And, and and once again, we can get into this. 19 big blinds is a lot bigger than 19 big blinds um, in 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 online, obviously. But um, but there were a lot of factors, reads, etc. And and my hand had d- decent strength, and uh, you know we're we're starting to get short there. So whatever. But I didn't feel like I played bad, but it still took me months to get over. Yeah. <laughs> just like I thought about it every day, right? And so it's just a matter of that emotional state that you get into when you're playing live is going to is gonna make it more impactful. But I guess we just got to learn to move on because I do like playing live. I think it's fun. I, I enjoy it, so I'm not going to stop doing it. But I think we have to just you know detach ourselves a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. So what's next, so what's next? What's next for you? Are you playing live anywhere, or do you, do you have anything coming up? Um, no live poker coming up. I'm just going to continue to try and grind uh, online and get my volume back up because obviously um, a week uh, a week away from my laptop has meant not a ton of time playing online. So going to start playing online in a, in a little bit of a downswing. Are you? Uh, see if I can get out of that. I've actually kind of started. I haven't had any big wins, but I, but I've had like several profitable sessions in a row, which is kind of helping me get out of the dive. So Man, I feel never, all right about that. I never have like a mildly profitable session. I, I used to. I felt like I used to, but I don't. I don't have that anymore. Now I either, you know, lose a ton of money or I bink something. And I wish I had more mildly profitable sessions. <laughs> um, I mean, I actually, actually, this, this, I've, I've actually been doing well online recently. I final tabled the. 50p 40k, um, a couple of 109s, um, a, a 25, $27 turbo. I've actually had a great, great month, but like those are three, like great, like four great days out of probably 20 sessions. And the other sessions right. is just like bankroll go down, bankroll, you know, bankroll goes down by 120th, bankroll goes down by 120th, you know? Right. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, you know increase bankroll by one third, you know? So it's like, it's like, yeah. I, I wish I don't have those days, but yeah, no, it's been, um, it's actually been pretty good. I mean, I feel really good, um, about poker. And I, I think a lot of it has to do from, from actually having these conversations with the pros and, and, and talking through these hands. But, um, I actually did a video and this is actually new for TPE. Um, I did a video with Hagbard Celine on MTT math. 
um, which I I've, I've always done the math for MTTs. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm always a believer in understanding the math behind it, and so I've I've always you know kind of done my own math away from the table. But um, but Hagbar and I did this video. It's a theory video um, where he led, and I just, I kind of helped him out. We helped him post it, and 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 I actually created a spreadsheet that's available um, on TPE, um, and I really think that's helped me game a lot because I find that by doing more math problems. I've, I'm understanding where my equity is coming from a bit better, and I think I discovered a leak where I call too wide. Like I'm sitting there with like you know ace six suited, and like someone from like early position shoves with for like ten big blinds. I'm like, well, I'm crushing his. I'm, I don't know if I'm crushing his range, but I'm, he could have a lot worse here, and mm-hmm. and and he could. But he could also have a decent amount, and unfortunately, the risk of going busto is so high that even though it's a plus EV, it's a very volatile play. And I've kind of realized that from doing the math, um, and I've been tightening up my call range. And I think that alone has really helped me improve my game a lot in the past like couple of weeks. Um, and, and we actually cover that all in the MTT math uh, video that, that we just released. So um, I encourage anyone who is a member um, – hasn't it's gotten a lot of good reviews um i think it's a a must watch for anyone who's new to mtts or um playing low stakes or hasn't done it yet and if you have it's probably just a refresher not a bad thing to do anyway but the the spreadsheet will probably help you anyway because it'll help you do those calculations right yeah i thought the video was great and and like you said the, the response from the members has been it's been phenomenal so far, so definitely check that out if you haven't already done so. Yep. And uh, what, what else happened on the site in the next week or two? Um, well, we just released member blogs and member well, – this is actually pretty cool. Member blogs, okay, so members want – members asked us if they can host their blog on TPE, which is kind of like an honor, right? People want to – people so identify with the site that, that they want to actually make this the place where they – keep their online journal, right? So that's pretty yeah, cool. That's so we, we accommodated them and we already had, you know, we beta tested it last week and, and we had like five or six people t- sign up for beta testing. So we already have content there. Um, but we just released it yesterday for anyone who wants it. So um, if you're a member and you want a blog, just PM me or PM Derek or just send the email to support at tournamentpokeredge.com and we will get you a blog um, set up. But what's neat about the blog is that it also includes the avil- ability to post videos um, you can, you know, there are ways for you to videotape your own session um, using Cam Studio. Um, and we'll get you some more details if you're interested in doing that offline. But you can, you know, you can videotape your own session and then have members critique it. And I think that, you know, I think that's going to be pretty popular because people do like to, you know, people have been asking to do that. Can, can we video our own session and upload it? And now we've given you the ability to do that. Um, so, you know, just more community type of stuff for TPE, which is one of the things that I think we're doing pretty well. So um, happy to, to, to launch it out there for everyone. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I mean, I, I think even even we and the, and the pros and stuff can learn stuff by watching some of our members' videos. So I'm, I'm yep. looking forward to checking it out, and hopefully everybody uh, is as stoked about it as we are. So yep. Yep. that'll be cool. cool. Right on. Yep, time to wrap it up. Um, once again, thanks to John and Sean for stopping in. And yep. that's uh, that's it for another episode of the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. So hey. we will see you all next time. Hey, Derek, happy holidays. TPE members, happy holidays. And we will see you guys probably after the new year. Yep, you too, buddy. All right, take it easy.
it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart.